0: The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.
1: This is Simon Rose and joining me for The Bigger Picture is Professor Tim Evans, who's Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. Tim, where are we going to begin today?
0: Well, I think we have to talk uh, about the huge number of elections uh, that are taking place um, uh, across England and and, and, and and parts of Wales and, and indeed in Scotland, today the only part of the United Kingdom that is not going to the polls mm-hmm. today, be it for local politicians or or regional mayors or police uh, uh, commissioners and all the rest of it, is is um, is Northern Ireland. But um, uh, huge elections. Of course, we couldn't have elections. If you remember last spring.
1: Oh, so some have been delayed haven't they the London mayoral election is one of those that's been delayed and we we're recording this on polling day of course obviously by the time people listen to it it may be already in the past
0: that's right but um but i i think my favorite candidate i've got to say um is count binface who is standing as a comedic character for the london mayoralty and has come up with all kinds of uh, jolly japes and policies um what really makes me he's sort of a, he's in the in the, in the, in, the, in the loony fringe tradition mm-hmm. of british electorate, uh, but i read his manifesto this morning and what really really amused me for however silly uh, he wants to be and how many res- re- 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 you know uh, uh, votes he gets he is bizarrely the only candidate standing uh, for the london mayoral election who's actually put as a pledge Um, The idea that Crossrail will be finished. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe later. You know, Crossrail has been going on, it's been dug and prepared for years um, if you remember it was going to be ready in I think 2018, 2019, then it was going to be 2019 then 2020, it was then going to be definitely ready in 2021, it's all gone really really quiet hasn't it As
1: but- as a slight aside though one has mentioned that you know we, we remember Commander Bill Bokes of the what was it, the Air Sea Land Party, I mean he was oh, one of yes. the weird of there was what's his name, Buckhead but we got the Monster Raving Loony Party for many years, was Absolutely. present at, at many Many important elections. But what people don't know is how many of their once loony policies are now law. Oh, really? 24 hour licensing laws. Right. Yep. 24 hour drinking became legal in 2005. Lowering the voting age to 18 was one of theirs. Abolishing yep. dog licenses. Legalizing commercial radio. Pedestrianizing Carnaby Street. Passports for pets. And the abolition of the 11 plus. Love it. So
0: there are a lot of fringe parties that can't really claim that much success. Indeed. Well, I once met, uh, screaming Old such, the sort of leader of okay. the monster-raving Looney Party, as it was in the early to mid-80s, yes. um, actually somewhere fairly random at a, at a by-election. And um, uh, you know he was an absolute star in front of me. And I said to him, I said, do you happen to believe uh, in things like cruise missiles? That was because it was very human. Yes, yes. He said absolutely, particularly on Tuesday afternoons. So, <laughs> so there we are. But Excellent. well, we, we could do it with a
1: bit more humour in um, politics. I suspect these days, uh,
0: politicians they take it very seriously. They do indeed, and 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 rightly so, because uh, we live in a country where government, be it national, local, takes around forty percent of GDP. Therefore, government is incredibly large it's very active and it's in all our lives hmm. and whether it's through regulation or the provision of goods and services you know things like street lights ro- the nhs roads it's really important so um uh, there's a lot of speculation in the press that that, that labor will not do well we've discussed before how there's a sort of peculiar crossover where people in fairly well-off cities like London um, and particularly, you know, sort of well-off areas of North London, like Islington, mm. or those lines of Georgian houses, they, they, they sort of uh, very much support the Labour Party, whereas up north, in particularly traditional sort of Labour, working class and lower middle class heartlands, um, the, the Tory party have done well. And I think... The real there's been a, there was a very good article by Alastair Heath about this in the Telegraph, and there's a superb hmm. article in The Guardian called Labour Keeps Pushing the Same Old Tories Lines, but Voters Have Moved On by Raphael Beher. And Raphael makes a really good point that that you know, yes, accusations of sleaze by Labour against the Tories um, may resonate with some people, may resonate with some older people but it is trying to dig up, you know, a story that has its origins really in the 1990s <laughs> um, as, as, a, as a subtext and as a theme. Um, of course, it was Theresa May who back in 2002 said that the Tory party was a nasty party. And it was Cameron who sort of introduced this dialectic of thatch-right economics with, with Tony Blair's Call cool Britannia yes. to, to build, you know, um, swathes of electoral support. Um, I think the real standout question uh, and uh, for Keir Starmer or for anyone in the Labour Party is, given the Conservative Party is this shape-shifting organisation, and it can be pretty, you know, it can, it can move to the welfare left, it can be on the tax cutting right, it can be... Um, euro skeptic one minute but doing huge trade deals or even maybe even liberalizing certain uh, immigration laws vis-a-vis places like hong kong next it is a sh- shape-shifting organization and it can pivot from left and right and up and down uh, because it doesn't have necessarily a firm intellectual anchor how on earth can the labor party deal with this because let's be clear the labor party does have a firm anchor the Labour Party was born at the turn, you know, the beginning of the 20th century, to support um, uh, state redistribution and furtherance of state welfare um, and very strong regulation. And there are periods clearly where that has been very popular. We know that at the end of the Second World War, Clement Attlee had a huge majority. But if you are tied to that, for example to the traditional version of clause four and that's how you define yourselves well it means that you can go for many years without necessarily resonating uh with the majority of the electorate and this got me thinking simon you know if i were lead with the labor party and i were looking for a set of principles um, with which i could compete against the conservatives and and win electoral favor and it's not really you know I'm not it's not really about Keir Starmer are you in the left or the Labour Party or the right you know just for the Labour Party sort of brand and and it's the broad thrust of its traditions then serious question I wonder if the time has not come uh for there to be another quite significant realignment in British politics we remember the SDP and then the SDP teamed up with the Liberals and then the Liberals became Liberal Democrats. I really wonder if there's not time uh, for the Labour Party to have a serious conversation with the Liberal Party about some sort of Liberal Labour tradition. And the reason I say this, Simon, is that the evidence from other places, particularly on the continent, is that the old 20th century sort of Labour socialist project um, is not working. There are many, many uh, sort of center-left socialist parties on the continent who are, are, are really dying a death and mm-hmm. are being replaced by, um, for example, the Green Movement, hugely uh, in many parts, um, but they're being really replaced by new market entrants with new ideas. So I wonder if it isn't time, and well, I'm serious about this, for a strategic refresh and to take that civil libertarian, a more pragmatic economic approach, of the Liberal Democrats, but try and bolt that on to refresh the Labour Party, whilst the Labour Party, you know, keeps its its trade union roots and its belief in fair taxation and social justice and those things, Uh, Mm. but just adds more tools from the toolkit of the political spectrum.
1: Um, For obviously from a conservative point of view, uh, I mean, it may well be that Labour do better in the elections than um, uh, the polls would lead us to believe, but. Conservatives would be very happy if Labour's weak but was it not Margaret Thatcher actually said that you know government needs a strong opposition?
0: Indeed and it was also Margaret Thatcher who was asked at some point in the mid to late 80s uh, what did she ultimately want to achieve in British politics and she gave a very interesting answer which was that she would like to reshape the opposition, the Labour Party, to become more like a a sort of social democratic party. In a way, she got her wish, didn't she? Because Mm -hmm. um, although Labour have not won an election for 16 years now, you know, a national election, um, uh, the last one they won was under Tony Blair in 2005, really, Blair's victories in 97, 2001, 2005, um, really, uh, I think, fulfilled that desire of Margaret Thatcher. I suspect what she had in mind was that she knew she was opening up the British economy, uh, British industry, to more global and competitive forces and, and to new technology. You know things like mm. up the telephone system and and, and the digital world that, that sort of blossomed uh, in the early to mid 1990s in in the wake of her, in the wake of her government. But I think she also thought in a very mature way, only, only a prime minister with their real understanding of statecraft can think at this level in some ways, but she probably realized that, that she wanted um, a Labour party and, uh, that was more progressive and that only a Labour government would be trusted to modernize and to refresh Britain's public services. And of course, if you look at that mantra of Tony Blair, education, 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 what did he do? Well, he um, expanded Uh, The university sector, he brought in academy schools uh, and public private partnerships, Uh, he brought in free schools, and, um, uh, and he did a lot um, to to sort of, you know revitalize the education sector to invest it similarly he pumped a huge amount of money into the NHS he brought NHS spending up to the European average and there he unleashed public private partnerships and he talked all the time about modernizing those valuable human services and I think that was really what Margaret Thatcher hoped that in her day a future Labour government Mm. Um,
1: although the polls are showing that Labour won't do terribly well of course the chances are that Sadiq Khan remained mayor of, of London. He means well ahead in the polls, isn't he? And I wonder why that is. I mean, you mentioned London early on.
0: Well, yes. And, uh, you know, if, if we assume that, that Sadiq will win London uh, under the Labour banner, well, that's great for Labour and Sadiq in London, mm. but it's not necessarily great for the Labour Party nationally, uh, simply because, you know, you cannot win in London and if you select urban areas and go on to form a government you actually have to have much broader appeal Uh, and the problem is that in a way um (laughs) Boris by pumping money into the economy by pumping money into NHS you know he's put his tanks dare I say it some people say that Boris is a sort of ideological classical liberal or a libertarian Tory well his instincts I think on social issues like gay marriage and and diversity issues are, are very progressive and, and very libertarian but but economically um boris's government is 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 a government of, of big government um it, you know it, it and and they put their tanks on labour lawn. Mm-hmm. the question for labor is the same one facing many leftist parties on the continent: what is their role what is their brand what are they going to do in the 21st century and you know there are lots of parties on the continent of the traditional left that have suffered because they haven't been at the cutting edge of the green issue. And again, this is an issue now that Boris is putting his Mm. tank, you know, carbon emissions, all the rest of it. And, um, and, and also all manner of people with civil libertarian sentiments who are worried about sort of, uh, surveillance issues and, and, and the state becoming too strong, you know, in terms of prying and spying and all the rest of it. Um, so the question for Labour is, you know, what sort of ideological package, what toolkit of policies can they, can they, can they bring together? And I, I'm not sure that they have enough in their own tradition to be able to do it. I, I, I wonder if they, you know, instead of running the Labour Party sort of from the inside and trying to communicate with the outside world, so working from the inside out, what I'm saying is that they need to have a big strategic refresh where they invite much more of the outside world into them
1: tim thank you it's time for us to change subjects
0: sharing ideas about money this is share radio
1: so what have you chosen as your second subject today tim
0: yes um so brilliant article by ambrose evans pritchard Joe Biden is right, America has always had a socialist soul and really what he's arguing is that uh, America has always had two very distinct um, uh, uh, sort of worldviews of political economy at its heart since its, since its inception. Um, there have always been uh, the sort of uh, the New England uh, Puritans. Uh, And there have always been the Pennsylvanian Quakers. There have always been people (coughs) in in North America, um, or the north of the United States, who uh, very much uh, in that sort of Quaker tradition, believe in not just in profit, but also in um, social well-being for workers, in social justice and in profit not being an end in itself but um uh sort of the great tradition of mutuality uh and the cooperative movement um you know if you look at the particularly the northeast of the united states of america a place like massachusetts um there is very much a european sort of scandinavian social democratic tradition that, that goes that goes back you know three or four hundred years in fact, whereas in the south uh, of the United States you've got a much more uh, propertarian view, of course, this is a place where originally they viewed um, people as being forms of potential private property like mm-hmm. slavery and all the rest <laughs> of it and, and that to understand American politics, you have to really understand those two tradi- those two traditions and those two extremes. The individualist sort of um, southern uh, red raw meat uh, sort of version of the United States is only part of the story. Um, uh, as indeed um, uh, you know, Joe Biden, uh, as is um, Bernie Sanders and, and his sort of very much socialistic impulse. Uh, the United States is a melange, it's a blend. It is not simply a, a country of rugged individuals. It is also a, a country founded um, by people with deeply uh, religiously based and morally based uh, redistributive and big state tendencies. And in a way, you know, right through our lives, if you think about it, getting away from all the ideological spin that politicians place in this, and, uh, and also, I dare I say, it, beloved by academics, uh, America um, has been a sort of capitalist corporatist state um, it's a mixture of business, but with an awful lot of regulation and state intervention and control, not least in that biggest of sectors, uh, which is the military industrial complex.
1: Yes, he pointed out, you know, where the Internet and GPS came from and everything. Of that was from the state run um, DARPA, which I, uh, recently we're trying. We're, we've got ideas of trying to emulate that, I'm, I'm clearly hoping for the same sort of uh, uh, result though i 'm not sure sure we'll get it, but clearly something has gone wrong in the states. I mean he talks about the attack on 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 Capitol Hill, but he also mentions the fact that over the last fifty years the um disparity between um what workers earn and what the bosses earn has just I mean, increased out of all proportions so a boss of an s and p five hundred company fifty years or so ago would earn twenty times a non supervisory worker's wage uh, now that's three hundred and sixty times. I mean, that's exactly. something seriously, you know, wrong um, exactly. with remuneration.
0: Exactly. But what's really interesting about this article, and uh, it does vote, it invoke, you know, he mentions, discusses the ideas of various academics who have commented on this. But the point is that the, the, the American uh, state, American society, is not a settled, um, mm. uh, um, you know, individualist Uh, or indeed socialistic project. The point is that the United States oscillates over different periods of time, (laughs) different extremes. And often those extremes do clash and they are often very polarised. This is a country, of course, that suffered um, a civil war uh, uh, between the North and South. Uh, This is also uh, a a country uh, that sort of swung from Calvin Coolidge, who was a fairly Thatcherite president in the day, to uh, JFK, uh, you know, only a few years later, and to the New Deal and all the interventions uh, and the big government that he brought in. And, and you know, in our lives, we've gone from, uh, well, really, from the age of big government in the 1960s in American terms to Ronnie Reagan with he, and Bill Clinton to them uh, much smaller... Um, uh, a, a state ideology it was bill clinton who actually said that the age of big government is over and now the united states has swung through trump and into joe biden and suddenly um there is, what was it two trillion dollars are being spent on infrastructure projects uh taxes are are, are increasing um and and, and joe it's, biden it's said, six
1: trillion in all
0: the uh, six trillion in all yes yeah. I mean,
1: that, that is quite serious money. And, of course, the one of the worries is what it's going to do to the financial system generally because already there are inflationary pressures being seen. There are many economists who would argue that pumping that sort of money in at a time when the economies are recovering anyway is actually perhaps foolhardy. The US budget deficit is going to be 13% this year. Once inflationary pressures come back in, we know. It, I mean, it can create in itself unrest. Um, if inflation gets out of the bottle again at the moment, most people have not, you know, younger than us, haven't really experienced it.
0: Indeed, and there's no accident that, that Lenin said, if you want a revolution, then you grind the middle classes uh, between the spokes of, 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 of high tax and, 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 and inflation. And, you know, there are, again, polarising risks uh, in politics that can come from periods of high inflation. Of course, um, governments often—and this is certainly the case of Britain—and uh, major parts of England go back to the medieval mm. period. Of course, governments and state you know, politicians and those who dabble with statecraft often quite like periods of um, of, of inflation because uh, it means that they can inflate away people's debt. You know, inflation as high, it said, can be deemed to be um, a form of hidden tax. If you, yes. You know, if you have inflation of, let's say, four percent a year. Well, that means you're actually uh, using inflation to take away um, 40% of someone's savings yes. in every 10 years. So, you know, I- inflation uh, is bad for many people, but it's often used by central bankers, and national treasuries yes. and, and statecraft to do this. But, but it- you and I
1: both both remember when inflation was easily experienced by people, because you would notice every time you went shopping, things were more expensive than they had been the time before. Once it gets beyond 4 or 5%, then you know, things get a little bit dicey.
0: That's right. And, and, and when, of course, that happened in Britain, uh, and that really happened in 1974-5, in the build-up to the IMF loan of 1976, mm. let us not forget the polarising effects of, of that period of, of economic turpitude. The results were that the National Front, uh, the, you know, the far-right extremist racist party of the 70s, shot up at one point to getting 23-24% in opinion polls. Um, you then had the left moving uh, to the hard left, and within a decade you had Arthur Scargill and, 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 and well, the Labour Party run by Michael Foote, uh, who's very much a man of the Tribune left of the Labour Party. Uh, and of course, then you had the rise of Thatcherism. If you think about Michael Foote on the left and Margaret Thatcher on the right, and and then the Heady cocktail, you know, thrown to the walls with the National Front, they were very difficult and polarizing days from the mid seventies to mm. the eighties. Um, so, if Biden gets this wrong, and if this tilt, um, this tilt to the left goes wrong in America, yes, you're right. There could be serious economic uh, consequences but also serious political consequences. I mean,
1: remember how much more indebted, of course, the world is. We've spoken about this on many occasions, but uh, uh, it was only, I mean, £3.9 billion, was it? They're no dollars that they borrowed from the IMF. I can't remember what it was in pounds. Um,
0: Yes, well, it it basically... But that's uh, peanuts these days. Yeah, I mean, basically, the United Kingdom in '76 borrowed um, in sterling about uh, a billion pounds and as you say it's peanuts mm-hmm. or it's actually an old school friend of mine uh, who's a graphic designer he's, he's not an economist at all but he made a really good point to me last year It was really interesting he said tim when we were young it was all millions then it became billions yes. now everyone's talking about trillions when did that happen and that's a very good question Yeah. all right
1: well do you remember when we when we were young a billion was a million million in the uk but that just seemed to fall out of use after a while a billion is now a thousand million a a trillion is what is what a billion used to be that's right yeah things ain't what they used to be tim uh time for us to change to a different topic
0: sharing ideas about money this is share radio
1: This is Simon Rose in conversation with Tim Evans, Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London. Uh, Tim, what's our third and final topic today?
0: Well, I don't often, I confess, look at Fox News. Um, I don't know why. Um, I I guess in some ways I'm prejudiced against um, all kinds of American outlets. I I find uh, the volume of american broadcasts to be just too loud and and the temperature you know is permanently turned up to 11 in most of their outlets but i did um go onto fox news almost by accident a couple of days ago and i just wanted to understand you know how they were reading um international affairs in the world given that joe biden has passed his hundred days and the top item what was headlined iran closes up with venezuela creeping into America's backyard. And I think we spoke a little, t- well, we have spoken on several occasions about Venezuela. Mm. And I think we briefly touched previously on this extraordinary and bizarre trade uh, that's seemingly been going, has been reported various outlets in recent weeks um, involving Russia, Tehran, Venezuela, and UAE, where basically those four I mean, can you believe it? You know, you think of Dubai and you think of it, very much part of the um, a progressive sort of uh, place. But anyway, UAE has been heavily involved apparently uh, with the Iranians and the and the Russians in in busting uh, the sanctions against Maduro's Venezuela. And what's really interesting about this article is that uh, it suggests that. Uh, that the Iranians over and above and somewhat separate to the Russians are now really getting embroiled in Venezuela and other parts of, of uh, Latin America. And that basically, I mean, it's, it's sort of suggesting that, that you can imagine all kinds of um, uh, Iranian disinformation uh campaigns being unleashed over there um uh, i mean it sort of paints a picture where you can imagine that in the future Iranian intelligence um you know will be joining up with all kinds of people potentially even the Cubans um um to try and influence um Latin American politics uh and 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 that apparently this is a, a major headache and a major concern for, for Joe Biden. Apparently he, of course, is aware of all this, um, but it, it's not simply that Iran, you know, is operating in the Middle East or parts of the Mediterranean or, or um, you know, in and around the Caucasus. Uh, Iran is now very, very active um, uh, and, and somewhat using Venezuela as a stepping stone a <laughs> building bridge into Latin American affairs. Uh, and that really shows you um, what what uh, what um, what uh, Iran like Russia yeah, is capable of?
1: But Biden, so we understand, is is not as keen on sanctions against Iran as um, President Trump was. He would like to restart those nuclear deal um, negotiations. So what on earth is he going to to do? He clearly is not does not want to be an interventionist president he doesn't show much signs of it at any rate
0: no and it, I mean, it's a it, 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 it's a concern isn't it, it um and, and it, it's difficult to know I mean, you do hear reports from time to time that iran you know is edging ever closer to getting a nuclear weapon um i mean in a way to have russia with nuclear weapons in the old day or to have the united kingdom or america is one thing uh, because you know However totalitarian and wicked um, places like the Soviet Union were, however harsh to their citizens they were, their ideology was one of uh, western rationality you know um, when you start to have nuclear weapons in the hands of of sort of theocratic states and uh, uh, and also uh, Uh, very unpredictable and potentially unstable extremists Mm. uh, like the leader in North Korea, um, then you wonder where you're going. And there's this constant feeling, isn't there, with with non-proliferation that, yes, we might have negotiations with Iran, they may go somewhere, but you're only buying a certain amount of time. Mm. The problem is that the cat is out of the bag. Humans have invented nuclear weapons. And while at the moment they can only be built by states, um, that is not necessarily the case in the future. You know, I mean, one of the one of the issues that concerns me is what if we or our children or grandchildren ever lived in a time where you sort of get Poundland weapons of mass destruction, mm. you know, things that 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 you know, almost apocal- apocalyptic individuals or small groups could. Um, Yes. And, and
1: the piece does mention, of course, that it's not just um, petroleum products that Venezuela is shipping off to Iran, but uranium as well, apparently.
0: Well, exactly. Um, and so, you know, one, way, one wonders where this is going. The big takeaway for me is that um, so many of the things that Trump was dealing with, um, for good, for bad, or, mm. or, for, or, for, for, or for worse... Um, These are all problems that that are absolutely on Joe Biden's desk. There are 20,000 children, apparently, uh, entering the United States unescorted every month now um, from Latin America. Um, And it's becoming a real challenge for the United States to know where to put the children, how to look after them. Uh, If you have the Iranians uh, uh, playing... um, Trying to destabilize Joe Biden, um, trying to muscle in and break sanctions and, and 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 get involved in in the politics of of that continent, then uh, then um, I, th- I see really difficult and challenging days ahead for him as a president.
1: That's a nice, cheerful way to end, <laughs> Jim. I'm not always cheered up by conversations. I confess. Um, That is great. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Tim Evans will be back in a fortnight's time on The Bigger Picture. Uh, Tim, of course, is Professor of Business and Political Economy at Middlesex University in London.
0: The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.